As you're uh, passing those in, I kind of want to, first of all, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm the pastoral staff here. Um, I, don't, I don't preach here that often. Uh, typically, I'm, I'm in St. Paul in Lower Town every Sunday night. And so I usually don't even get to preach when the sun's out. So this is kind of different. Um, but uh, anyways, so we have another location uh, all the way in St. Paul in Lower Town. We meet in a beautiful old building, uh, First Baptist Church of St. Paul, and, and uh, grateful for our relationship with them. They'll get beat there. Um, well, we got a couple things coming up that I wanted to just uh, let you be aware of. If you want to come, great. If you don't, yeah, that's okay too. Uh, but we have a couple things going on in, in Lower Town that I wanted to uh, mention. One of them is the St. Paul Art Crawl. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Um, has anybody ever been or attended the St. Paul Art Crawl before? Well, now is your chance, okay? Uh, it happens twice a year, and I guess actually there's usually over 20,000 visitors that go to St. Paul to check out the art. Basically what happens is all the artist co-ops and that kind of thing. In order to live in these buildings, you have to be an artist, okay? So and then twice a year, they're required to open their doors and anybody can just walk in and look at their art. Um, and so we are actually doing that. So at Hope Community Church in Lower Town, we have uh, several of our artists um, who are gonna be displaying their art, uh, showing their art. Hope Hymns will be there and we'll be doing a big music set. So Friday, April 27th from 6 to 10 p.m. and then Saturday, April 28th from 12 to 8 p.m. And so it's a way for us to just get involved in the neighborhood and the community, show that we love art and at the same time we love the neighborhood and we love the people there and we, we care about what they have to say and what they find important. And uh, so a couple things, uh, if, if you want to write this down, great. Mike Kelly, he's going to be actually reading some of his poetry on uh, Friday night at 8 p.m. And then on Saturday at 12.30, Hope Hymns will be doing a whole set uh, on Saturday afternoon. And then my mother-in-law, Marilyn Henry, is going to be playing uh, their, you know, 140-year-old organ for an hour. Uh, she's got some of uh, Frozen and... Uh, uh, Beauty and the Beast, you know, in the repertoire, and uh, really cool just hearing those old pipes flex, and she's a phenomenal organist, and uh, so anyways, excited about that. And then Julia Christian, if you know her, she sings the worship team uh, a lot, and uh, she'll actually have her band there, and they're going to be performing at three o'clock. So there's a lot going on on Saturday afternoon. If you can make it, yes, view Hope, Hope Community Church's art, but at the same time, just walk around the neighborhood, get to know the community and, and other people there that are just showing their art, and you can even buy some art. Um, so anyways, and then we're going to be doing a community art project, which is kind of cool. Uh, so if you want to come and, and color a picture of Jesus, uh, you can do that. And so this was Drew Zolke's idea, our youth pastor. It was, it, it's a really great idea. Basically just saying, hey, we want you to, what do you think Jesus is telling us, right? Which could be dangerous, but, but I'm, well, I'm interested in that, right? I want to know, what is the neighborhood? What does the community think that Jesus would be telling us as a society or, or an individual? And so uh, that may turn into a sermon series. I don't know, of just kind of reading what people are saying from the neighborhood. And um, so anyways, you can come and, come and be part of that as well. And we'll have all those up and display those as well. So Anyways, that's St. Paul Art Crawl. If you have any questions about that, please come talk to me. And if you just want to help out in any way or you just love art, uh, feel free to talk to me. All right. That's that. Okay, we have been in the book of Exodus now for, uh, this is week 13. So we've been here for a while. And this is week four now of the plagues. And we're going to be finishing up the plagues today. But before we kind of jump into the passage uh, that we have this morning, um, I want to kind of catch us up, where we've been. I know it's been four weeks, and it's like, man, plague, 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 plague. I'm kind of done with these plagues. It's kind of heavy. Um, but at the same time, I want to go back and really explore the Egyptian gods that, that Yahweh, that the God of the Israelites is going after. Um, and so I want to bring that to your attention. So in chapter 7, Moses is, is talking with God, and God says to Moses, uh, Moses, you are going to be a god to Pharaoh. All right, Pharaoh thinks he's a god, 
And so Moses, I want you to be a God to Pharaoh. And so uh, just a quote, I've been reading this every week in St. Paul. It says, it may be helpful here to understand this through Pharaoh's eyes. In Egyptian royal ideology, the Pharaoh was considered to be a divine being. So by calling Moses God, Yahweh is beating Pharaoh at his own game. It is not the king of Egypt who is God. Rather, it is the shepherd and leader of slaves who is God. And, uh, and it reminded me initially, immediately when I was uh, teaching this or just reading this and studying this, uh, I immediately thought of, of, of Loki, right, from, from the Avengers movie, the first one, where he, right, he's yelling out to the Incredible Hulk and he says, he says, you are all beneath me, I am a god. And then the Incredible Hulk just grabs him by the ankles and just beats, just pummels him back and forth and then leaves Loki uh, in a pile. And as the Hulk is walking away, he just says, puny god, right? That is exactly what God is doing here. God's showing up like the Incredible Hulk saying, you guys got nothing, right? Matter of fact, you're not even real gods. You're fake. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach the people. I'm going to teach the Egyptians that their gods are not real, that their gods are puny gods. Even their Pharaoh is a puny god. So we've gone through previous eight of these plagues, and we are going to finish with the last two. But again, I want to go back and look at what these were. So the the Nile uh, being turned into blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, livestock, boils, hail. And then today we'll get to darkness, the death of the firstborn son. Before we get there, though, I want to even go back even further to when Aaron throws his staff down. When Aaron throws his staff down on the ground before it turns into, when it turns into a snake, in our language, that's how it's interpreted. It's interpreted snake. But Apep is the god of chaos. Apep is the god that Pharaoh wore on his crown, and, and Apep was supposed to defend and protect the Pharaoh. And so fire would consume anybody in his court that threatened the Pharaoh. And so Aaron comes with Moses, and they throw down their staff, and again, it's translated snake, but in the Hebrew, it's really a dragon or a, or a water beast or something large. And then we have the magicians, and they create snakes. Okay, so God is showing up in that first act of, of mystery and displaying his power. He says, Moses, you, or Pharaoh, you want chaos, I'm going to bring you chaos, and your little apep chaoses can't handle this chaos, or you got puny gods. So right away he does that, and then we see happy. I'm probably pronouncing all these wrong, so if there's any um, Egyptian mythologists out there, I apologize. But actually, our pastor Drew, I, I, was, I was studying this last week, and he came into my office, and he goes, oh, that's happy, or whatever. And I was like, how do you, he's like, oh, I studied Egyptian mythology. I was like, oh, of course, of course you did. Why wouldn't you? Um, so... Anyways, and it was a, what do you call it? It's been a while since I've been in school. It, was a, it, wasn't a, it was an elective. He chose to take that too, which is even weirder, I think. But anyway, so happy, happy, she is the goddess of the Nile. All right, and, and this is where God ends up turning the Nile into blood. And so this is a poem written to happy. It says, thou art the waterer of the fields, which Ra has created. Ra is the sun god, the most powerful of the gods in their theology. Thou art the waterer of the fields, which Ra has created. And thou givest life unto all animals. Thou makest all the land to drink unceasingly as thou descendest on the way from heaven. But we're going to see that even in the, all the way back there, the very first plague, as if it were, that when the Niles turned to blood, it's saying Yahweh is a God killer. That the source of life, the source of this Nile that you worship as a goddess has been killed and that its blood is now flowing down the Nile. That Yahweh is a God killer and these are puny gods. They're not real. And then we get to Heket, 
Heket was the goddess of, uh, she had a head of a frog. The actual symbol for uh, um, a thousand in hieroglyphs was a tadpole. Say, learn something new every day. Um, she was thought to be the wife of Knum, the god who created men on his potter's wheel. And she gave the newly created being the breath of life before the child was placed to grow in the mother's womb. God shows up and he says, oh, you want frogs? You think you've created mankind? You think you've given them life? No, you're puny. Geb, Geb had the, the head often depicted as a, as a, as a goose. Um, and uh, he was the god of the land. And uh, it says this about him. The first sound, uh, I guess ever, the first sound was the honking of the primeval goose as it laid the world egg. And the creator, that's Ra, hatched from this egg and the two halves of the shells became the earth and the sky. That he was very powerful in their mythology and God shows up and says, you're nothing. You're nothing. I'm gonna make it seem like you are turning on your own people as I control creation. Kefri, Kefri was a very powerful uh, God in their theology and their mythology as well. And Kefri was often uh, depicted as a dung beetle, okay? So if you don't know anything about dung beetles, uh, they're quite fascinating characters I've come to, to learn about. Um, they actually will uh, roll up a ball of dung, which makes sense, which is why they're called dung beetles. And they, and they roll around this ball wherever they go, and, and, and mama dung beetle plants the larva dung beetles in the ball of dung. I said dung a lot right there. Um, and, and, and then, so when they hatch, they have food, right? So that's, they're just being good parents. Okay. That's what they do. All right. But, but in this, in the, in the mythology though, uh, Kefri would, would roll the sun into being and push it up over into the atmosphere as it turned into Ra and God is going to show up and he's going to say, I want you to go to Pharaoh in the morning. And there's symbolism there. You're going to show up in the morning of this God of the morning, who's represented as a scarab or a dung beetle. And we're going to bring, I'm going to bring flies because these are puny gods, they're nothing. I'm a god killer. And then we see Hathor, uh, interesting story with Hathor, but she's depicted as having the head of a, of a bull and uh, was the goddess of love and protection. Uh, but she wasn't always that way. I guess Ra created um, in their, again, their mythology uh, and their stories, that basically, he created the sister, uh, Heket was her name, and she had, uh, not Heket, uh, second, that's what it is. She had just a bloodlust for human beings, okay? Would just, just apparently she would just run around killing human beings just for the fun of it. And Ross said, we got to stop her. We can't, we can't just let her run around doing these things. We got we to gotta stop her, but he doesn't know what to do. So he gets together with all the other gods and they decide, let's just brew a ton of red beer. That's what we're going to do. We're going to brew a ton of red beer and we're going to flood it in the valley. And so uh, Seket sees it and thinks, oh, that's the blood of my, my victims and I'm going to drink this blood. And so she does, um, gets very drunk, passes out and wakes up as uh, Hathor, the lover and protector of the people rather than the slaughterer of them. And God, Yahweh, is going to show up and say, you have puny gods. Isis, the goddess of medicine and magic. Uh, this was the first one that when the magicians got the boils on their skin, that the magicians came back and begged, begged Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Right? The magicians showed up and said, we can't even do this. Isis, puny god, has got nothing, nut. She was the uh, goddess of the sky, and she was supposed to protect the crops and the people from storms and hail. And God says, no, you've got puny gods. I'm going to send the hail, and I'm going to destroy everything with the hail. And then whatever remained, I'm going to destroy with locusts. And so Set, the goddess of, or the god of storms and wind, that is the eastern wind, pushes the locusts in, and God destroys everything else in the land. Anything that was green, as we read last week, 
in that. So um, that's where we've been. And I've been doing this every week in Lower Town. So if you want more information specifically about these gods, um, these puny gods, these fake gods, um, you can listen to those online if you're interested. Uh, today's message, though, is where we're going to be jumping into these last two. Darkness and the death of the firstborn son. And so I want to look at the god of Ra. Ra was by far the most powerful in all their mythology, that they worshipped him, he gave light, he gave uh, sustenance to plants, uh, he did everything that, you, that, we would, that we enjoy from the benefits of the sun that he gives, and so they worshipped Ra as the creator god. And I want to read here how God goes after this false god. Then Yahweh said to Moses, I'm going to, sorry, uh, in, in English it's translated Lord is all caps. Uh, that means it's the name of God. So anytime in our English translations when you see Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, it means they're using God's name, Yahweh. And so I just have gotten in the habit of reading it as Yahweh, so I'm going to continue to do that. So Yahweh says to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so the darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. Right, so dark that you have to feel around to get anywhere and do anything. It's complete, utter, pitch black darkness. As one commentary says, a plague of darkness is almost certainly intended to be understood as a polemic against an Egyptian solar deity, possibly Ra, a common sun god throughout Egypt's history. For the god of the Israelite slaves to have his way with such a powerful Egyptian god would send a clear message. This would speak to Pharaoh. Even more directly, since Egyptian kings were sometimes referred to as the son of Ra. The Pharaoh was referred to as the son of God. More significant, especially in light of the plague narrative as a whole, is the connection between this plague and creation. And if you go back and look at all the other different plagues, it's going back to the creation story. And it's uncreation. Darkness is a chaos word. It was the first thing God brought under control by introducing light in Genesis 1-3. A reintroduction of darkness brings creation back to its chaotic beginnings. You want chaos, Pharaoh? I'm going to give you chaos. And you can't even begin to understand and fathom what's going to happen to you. It goes back to its chaotic beginnings, which is a signal to the Egyptians of what awaits them at the sea. At the beginning, the beginning, right? The waters of the deep covered the earth. And at some point, the Egyptians are going to be covered by that sea as their armies chase after Pharaoh. There's no... Commerce, in, it's that dark, you can't, they didn't have flashlights, they didn't have cars and automobiles, it's just pitch black darkness, right? They had candles, uh, and if you know anything about light, you usually they, they will say this has, um, you know, 50,000 candle power. They didn't, they had one candle power, okay? They didn't have all these amazing lights that we have these days, so they, there's no more commerce, there's no more trading. Uh, all the plants that were just destroyed uh, previously, uh, the hail destroyed all the plants, and whatever what little bit was left over, the locusts come in and destroy it. So they're saying, we're done. Uh, there's, we're, there's nothing left, and now the sun isn't even here to help the plants grow, right? Uh, chaos is darkness, and what grows in darkness are mushrooms, okay? It's chaos. Mushrooms are nasty, all right? Mushrooms go back to what it was like when there was chaos and darkness ruled the world, when you eat mushrooms, you're like Pharaoh, okay? Just remember that. <laughs> Food isn't supposed to grow in the dark. <laughs> Sorry, I don't like mushrooms, obviously. Okay, here we go again. This happens over and over and over again in these stories. 
So Moses stretches out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. And no one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. And Yahweh is going to display his power over these puny gods and say, I'm going to make it dark in the Egyptians, but there's still going to be light where the Israelites are. And then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go and worship Yahweh. Even your women and children may go with you, but only leave your flocks and herds behind. There's a reason why he says that. Last week, uh, when he, when, after the locusts, he says, okay, you can go, but I want to know who are you planning on taking with you? And, and Moses says, well, everybody. I want to take the men and the women, the young and the old and our flocks. And Moses says, you can't do that, right? We'll be undone if you all leave. Just take the men and leave your women and children. All right, but then he, he reneges on his promise again. And then what do we have? We have him now saying, I'm going to compromise here. So, okay, okay, fine. Okay, all right, you in. Go and worship Yahweh. And you know what? This time, even your women and children may go with you, but only leave your flocks and herds. And he just keeps taking back his word over and over and over. And it's almost like a song that never ends. Right? I used this illustration a couple weeks ago. We actually sang it all together as a church. I'm not going to do that to you because um, it will be stuck in your head forever. And then last week it was fitting because the blizzard of Groundhog Day, just the same thing over and over, right? It's just a, what's snow? It's just a couple of flakes, right? This guy, right, just living the same thing over and over. And then this week I was reminded of these death traps, right? Of they just go around and around and around. They don't, what's crazy, this is, okay, side story. They, don't, they sell these things, okay? This was on eBay, not eBay, who uses eBay? This was on Amazon uh, for $6,000, right? You can buy a merry-go-round for $6,000 just so you can get sued by somebody. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Moses and Pharaoh are just doing this round and around and around, over and over and over. And so now Moses is going to get a little heated, and he's going to get even more heated the next one. But Moses says, you must allow us to have sacrifices uh, and burnt offerings to present to Yahweh our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping Yahweh our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship Yahweh. At this point, the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy hadn't been written yet. So Yahweh, excuse me, Moses had no idea how he was supposed to worship God. He clearly knew that there was some kind of blood sacrifice that needed to happen, but he didn't know. So he says, I need, we all need to go, including the flocks and the herds. Not one hoof will be left behind. Verse 27, but Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. And Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight and make sure you do not appear before me again. And the day you see my face, you will die. Or he's making a really intense threat. But Moses here just says, all right. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. Now, by Moses saying that, he knows, all right, you want me to go? I'm going to go. And guess what? When I go, I'm taking all my people with me. You think you're going to win this, but Yahweh is going to crush you. I want to move on to Pharaoh and the death of the firstborn son. Pharaoh was worshipped as a god. I want to read a little poem that may actually sound a little familiar. It says, he is born. He is born, oh, come and adore him. Young like the moon and it's shining and changing over the heavens, his footsteps are ranging. Stars never resting and stars never setting. Worship the child of God's own begetting. Heaven and earth, oh, come and adore him. 
Bow down before him, kneel down before him, worship him, adore him, fall down before him, God who is born in the night. So this isn't written about Jesus or some Christmas song that we, that we would maybe sing every year. This is a poem that was written to Pharaoh. They worshiped Pharaoh as a god. They worshiped Pharaoh as the son of God. Pharaoh's name for himself was the firstborn among creation. And Yahweh is going to look at him and look at the situation that's going on in Egypt and say, you, you want to be the firstborn? You think you are the creator of all things? You think you're claiming to be my son? Oh, no, Mo. Oh, no, Pharaoh. You are a puny God. And I will make that known to all people for all time by what's about to happen to you. So just one more plague. Now Yahweh said to Moses, I will bring one more plague to Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. Yahweh had made the Egyptians favorably, favorably disposed toward the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. Right, that because of what Yahweh was doing and displaying, that the Egyptians then start to fear this God of the, of the, of the Israelites. And they're going to give them, right? We're not just going to leave. You're actually going you're gonna, to you're gonna hoard. You're going to take all this stuff too. That's what God says. So then Moses, in the presence of Pharaoh, says this. This is what Yahweh says. Imagine this warning that he's delivering. About midnight, I, God, will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn cattle as well. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal, and then you will know that I am Yahweh, and that Yahweh makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. He makes a distinction between his people and not his people. And all these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, go, you and all your people who follow after you, and after that I will leave. And then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Yahweh's a God killer. And he's the creator of the world. And he's looking at these puny gods, these fake gods, these false gods, saying, I am God. So I have a quick question, gospel implication. Who do you image more? Going back to creation. Oh, sorry, I, I missed this part. <laughs> I'm just going to move forward. Creation is at God's command both to deliver his people and to destroy his enemies. The plagues at crea are creation reversals. Okay, going back. Animals harm rather than serve humanity. Light ceases and darkness takes over. Waters become a source of death rather than life. And the climax of Genesis 1 is the creation of humans on the last day. That we were made in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. Whereas the climax of the plagues is the destruction of human beings in the last plague. The plagues do not run rampant, however. They eventually cease and each cessation is another display of God's creative power. He once again restores order to chaos as he did in the beginning. 
The waters are restored. The pesky insects and animals retreat. Each plague is a reminder of the supreme power of God who holds chaos at bay, but who, if he chooses, will, will step aside and allow chaos to plague his enemies. So that question I've gone back to, who do you image more? The creator of the universe that you've been created in his image, that we are called to bear his image as people. That's why we don't have uh, structures and, and, and images. That's why he said, don't make images of God. That's not, what a, that's not what it's about. Human beings are my image bearers. And so how do we create images of God? We go forth and we be fruitful and we multiply. That we are made in the image of God, but when we choose to be animalistic, when we choose to worship ourselves or the creation, I'm going back, I'm being like Pharaoh. And I'm not, I'm not being like Christ. A little bit about heroes. Um, uh, John, uh, Jonathan uh, Swift once said this, whoever, whoever excels, he's a poet, whoever excels in what we prize appears a hero in our eyes. Right? What do you value? Who, who is it that you look up to and say, man, if I could be anybody, I'd be, I'd be like that. Right? Is it, is it going to be, is it going to be uh, some famous, popular, powerful CEO? Is it some musician, some, some Hollywood actor or actress? Right? Who is it that we say, no, I want to be like that? Whatever we prize is a hero in our eyes. Another poem about Pharaoh says this, Son of God, himself our God, the royal Lord of victory. Like the God of war, he stands upon the stricken field, strong and fierce and savage like the bull of Helopolis. Resolute and bold and wise, our country's sword and shield. When you think about the creator, when you think about the God killer, and you think about Jesus, and then you think about Pharaoh, and the comparison between Jesus, the actual son of God, Jesus, the actual firstborn among creation, and Pharaoh, the one who claims that he is God, that Pharaoh is resolute and bold and wise, our country's sword and shield. And then you have Jesus, on the other hand, who says, I'm not going to crush my foes with the sword. I'm going to lay down my life for them. That the God killer actually comes to this earth and takes on flesh and himself dies so that we can live. Why is it in our culture, we were just in the back talking with some guys about about the uh, Black Panther and, and uh, the new Infinity uh, movie coming out. Our heroes in our culture, at least Western society and culture, why is it that our heroes like Superman and Thor and whoever, that they actually, if they wanted to, could oppress everybody, right? Like Superman could just rule the world if he wanted, but he doesn't. All right, he sets his preferences aside to serve people. Now, where does that idea come from? Vishal Mangawali says this in his book, The Book That Made Your World. He's speaking from an Eastern perspective. He says, Jesus' heroism replaced brutality with love, pride with meekness, and domination over others with self-sacrifice and service. He exemplified this when he humbled himself, took a basin of water and a servant's towel and started washing his disciples' feet. Doesn't sound like Pharaoh. This, he said, is what the kingdom of God is all about. He was the king of kings, the Lord of lords. All power in heaven and on earth, he claimed, was his. But he had not come to be served, but to serve. Not to kill, but to give eternal life. These are not homilies delivered by a guru who sat on a golden throne. These teachings changed history because they emanated from a life lived in the public arena. So, gospel application. 
Do we think we're a big deal? Do we think that we're a bigger deal than we ought to? Or should we humble ourselves before God? I was thinking about this even in between services. I was talking with somebody and just mentioned, man, this, this God killer, right? It's painful, right? That what's happening to the Egyptians, right? this isn't a walk in the park, but now because of Christ, because of what Christ has done on the cross for our sins, we now get to kill sin. So this God killer is enabling us to kill sin in our own life. And it's painful to have our sin exposed. But we get to do this because of what Christ has already done for us. Should we humble ourselves and not be like Pharaoh, but be like Jesus, who said this in Luke 18, he's talking to his disciples and tells this parable. To some who are confident of their own righteousness, look down and look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. I want you just for a moment to put yourself in the Pharisees' shoes, to put yourself in Pharaoh's shoes, to examine your own heart and think, do I judge people? Do I think I'm better than them in any way, any possible way, just because of who I am. He says this, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, a traitor. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, which was more than necessary, and I give a tenth of all that I get, which was more than required. He says, I'm, I'm better than these people. And do we do that? based on education. I'm better than that person, based on maybe even where they went to school, based on their skin color. Man, I'm glad I'm not white. I'm glad I'm not black. Man, I'm glad I got money. Man, I'm glad I got this house. Do we do that? Whereas Jesus shows up and on the cross, he says, there's neither slave or free here. There's no female or male. There's no Jew or Gentile. We're all one at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do we think we're Pharaoh? Do we think we're bigger and better than what we are? Or are we humble? And I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. But what Jesus is doing here, and I think what I don't want you to get today is just do better. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You got this, right? You can do this, right? That God's gonna kill some sin. Guess what? You can kill it now, right? You're gonna be a better person if you just try. It's not what Jesus teaches. Because the only possible way that I can kill sin is with the help of Jesus Christ. That he has enabled me to be free to be free. So I don't have to submit any longer under that yoke of bondage and slavery of sin and law. So one last reading, this is Colossians 1. We went through Colossians a while back and, and we spent several weeks just looking at this passage of this Christology, the study of Christ and how powerful this real God is and what he has done for us, which is completely different from the God of Pharaoh, this fake puny God. Verse 15 says this, the son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, even Pharaoh. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on the earth or things in heaven or by making peace, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. But it's because of the sacrifice of the real God that we are set free from our sin. And once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior that while I was an enemy of God, Christ died for me. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and freak from accusation that I can now boldly enter the throne of grace because of what Christ did on the cross. That this powerful, unbelievably powerful God, Yahweh, sends his son who takes on flesh, fully God, fully man, and he submits to the will of his father and he dies and is crushed for our sin. Will you pray with me and remember what the true God of the universe has done for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're in control. I thank you that as we look at even all these different polemics, these ways that you demonstrated your power against these fake Egyptian gods, that you showed your power in real, tangible ways. And God, you showed up when it mattered, and you showed up in our own lives when it mattered. And there may be people in here who say, man, I just, I don't know about all of this. Can I really be set free from all this stuff that I'm suffering from with my sin? That I'm worshiping myself. God, I pray that you would now in this moment call them, call their hearts, that they would be humbled and realize their need of a savior. And God, I pray that the rest of us who maybe already made a decision like that and has followed you, God, that we would just exalt you, that as we sing now, that we would lift up our voices to the amazing creator God of the universe who has sent his son to die for our sins. And it is in that son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.